Well, this evening as we come to the table of the Lord, we want to look at God's word to prepare our hearts for this time. And I would ask you to do so by turning in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. <clears throat> Titus chapter 2. Three weeks ago on Christmas Eve, we considered Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. But I didn't speak on specifically verse 13, and we want to come back to that verse this evening as we prepare ourselves for the table of the Lord. Hear the word of God in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Well, when we considered this passage of Scripture, uh, we considered it under four points. The grace of God appeared, that's in verse 11. The grace of God accomplished salvation, that's in verse 11 and verse 14. The grace of God instructs us in godliness, that's verse 12. But then this evening we want to consider verse 13. The grace of God brings the hope of heaven. The grace of God brings the hope of heaven. When we considered this passage three weeks ago, we saw that the grace that God has given to us is past, present, and future. The grace of God appeared, that's the past. And when the grace of God appeared in the person of Jesus Christ in the incarnation, He brought salvation to all men, to all kinds of men in various positions and places among all the nations. But then we see its present application in verse 12, instructing us in the current time, presently, to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. But then there is this future aspect to the grace of God. We are looking. We're looking for that future day when Christ returns, here described as the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. So the grace of God has past, present, and future implications. We needed the grace of God to deal with our sin problem. We presently need the grace of God to repent of sin and grow in holiness and sanctification. And we will need future grace the grace of God saved us from the penalty of sin. The grace of God saves us presently from the power of sin. And the grace of God will save us from the very presence of sin in the future. So if we have received the grace of God that forgives the penalty of sin, then we've also received the grace of God that saves us from the power of sin and we have received the grace that causes us to long for the removal of the very presence of sin when we see Jesus face to face. 
The grace of God does all of this. And so if a person professes to be saved from the penalty of sin, yet doesn't evidence the grace of God in his present sanctification and in the future hope of glory, then it calls his profession into question. For the grace of God doesn't just bring one of these aspects, but all of them. So the grace of God doesn't just work in one aspect in the life of the believer, only looking to the past to what Christ has done, but there is also faith in Christ and the grace of God in Christ to deal with the very power of sin now so that we grow in sanctification. And there is faith as we look forward to that future grace to be brought to us when Christ returns. Now this evening is really the conclusion of our study in Titus 2, as we've looked at a spiritually sound church. And I said this morning that a spiritually sound church is a gospel church, a gospel-centered church. And what is the gospel? It's good news. What is the good news? Well, we see it here in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. And he speaks of that good news in verse 14, that Christ gave himself for us to redeem us. That's good news. But there's even more good news than that. Not only is the penalty of sin removed, but through Christ and the grace of God in Christ, the very power of sin is removed. Our salvation is not just from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin. But our salvation isn't just from the penalty and the power of sin, but ultimately from the very presence of sin. On the last day, in the consummation of our salvation, on the day of resurrection, our salvation will then be complete. Verse 13 speaks of that last day. The day of the second appearing of the Lord Jesus. He appeared once. It speaks of that in verse 11. The grace of God appeared. But verse 13 speaks of another appearance of God. The Lord Jesus Christ. It will be the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. So the spiritually sound church is always looking back at those aspects of the gospel that are past tense, the coming of Christ in His first appearance, and what He did to redeem us from our sin as He gave Himself up for us. But the spiritually sound church also lives in this present age, looking to the grace of God to purify the bride, the church of Jesus Christ. And as we look back and as we look to the present grace of God, we're also looking toward the future. We look forward to his second appearing when he comes again. And so the spiritually sound church holds to the promise of Jesus himself, the promise that he will return. And the spiritually sound church lives in light of that truth. We could say it this way, the grace of God creates a future hope. One of the common temptations that we all have is to be discontent. And one way this discontentment shows itself is when we're always looking towards something in the future without being thankful for the present. We can quickly overlook the goodness of God in our lives in the present, especially in trials. 
and be constantly looking for something in the future. We can be like a child who can't wait for his birthday, but when that day comes, he can't wait for his next birthday. <clears throat> or we can look forward to a week of vacation and when it's over, rather than rejoice in God's goodness of giving us that time. We can't wait for the next one. We're quickly looking for something in the future. There can be sin at times, a, a type of discontentment, and always looking toward the future. It can be expressed in the words, I can't wait for, and you fill in the blank. And so we sometimes tell our children, let's enjoy today. Let's give thanks to God for this moment. Let's not always look toward what comes next. Let's be content with today and rejoice in God's goodness today. Fear, anxiety, sinful worry often arises from always looking toward the future. And so we should pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And so there's one sense in which we should not always be looking to tomorrow or next year. As Jesus said, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. However, there are some things that are so important, so significant, so momentous, and so desirous that we should and must anticipate that future event. That future event. It's not always sinful to look toward the future. In fact, there are some things that we must always be looking forward to and have our eye on. For example, there should be eager anticipation for a man who's engaged to a woman as he looks to that wedding day. Both of them are looking for that wedding day. Their desire is to be united in that holy union created by God. They long for one another with a holy love. They long to be husband and wife. And so if a bride-to-be said, I can't wait for that day, no one would correct her and say, just be content with today. In fact, we would agree that a man and woman who are engaged to be married should have such a desire for that future day. That day should be in their thoughts. It should be the longing of their hearts. That kind of looking forward to something in the future is not sin. It is holy and it is good. And so again, while a Christian can be discontented and can sin by always looking to something in the future and not giving thanks to God for today, there is a momentous event, a glorious day that should consume our thoughts. In fact, without longing for this future event, we can't live to God's glory in the present. The Apostle Paul speaks of such a longing for a future day in Titus 2, verse 13. He says it this way, Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. This is a future event. It will be a momentous event, to say the least. The way in which it is described demonstrates how significant that day will be. <clears throat> it will be the manifestation of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. He is glorious. He is great. He is God. He is Savior. Here, a reference, again, to Christ, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. How can the Christian not long for such a day, that day when his Savior will appear? Brethren, we must look forward to this future day if we are to live to God's glory today. If we're to be holy in this present evil age, then we must look forward to and eagerly await that day. For that day will be a day of grace. It will be a day in which the dead in Christ will be raised. Jesus said, this is the will of him who sent me, that of all whom he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. The Apostle Paul describes this glorious day in this way. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this imperishable will put on the imperishable and this mortal will put on immortality, then will come the saying that that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? Victory. O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There will be no more sin, no more curse, no more death. This is the victory of God's grace. It will be a day of great power. You've heard me say that the power of God and the grace of God cannot be separated. When God bestows grace, there's always the bestowal of His power. The gospel is the power of God into salvation for everyone who believes. Our present sanctification is a work of God's grace that demonstrates His power. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He is at work exercising his almighty power to sanctify you. This final work of God, his grace in salvation, will be a powerful work as well. It is described in this way in Philippians 3, verse 21. Christ Jesus will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. How? By the exertion of the power that He has, even to subject all things to Himself. The winds and the waves, as we read in Matthew 8 this morning, obeyed His voice when He dwelt below. Dead, decayed bodies will obey His voice on that final day. And it will be a demonstration of grace and power. Know what a day that will be. We have to look forward to that day. So look at verse 13 as we prepare to come to the table of the Lord. Let's ask some questions of verse 13. What are we looking for? What are we looking for? Well, what's described in verse 13 is what we call the second coming of Christ. And how is his coming described here? It's described as the blessed hope. 
We are looking for the blessed hope. Consider the word hope. This is not the way we use the word hope typically, as if we're wishing for something. When we say, I sure hope this happens, we mean I, I wish for it, I hope it happens, I want it to happen, but I'm not sure. No, biblical hope is built on reality and surety. Biblical hope is built on the promises of God who never lies and is always faithful to keep his word. Sometimes the word hope in the Bible is synonymous with trust, confidence, and faith. In Psalm 31, verse 24, it says, Be strong and let your heart take courage. All of you who hope in the Lord. That means all of you who trust in the Lord. Your confidence, your faith is in Him. Psalm 39, verse 7. And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in You. That is, again, my trust, my faith, my confidence is in you. Hope is often found with faith in the scriptures. Hebrews 11 verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so we sing hymns that speak of hope in that way. My hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me and paid the price of all my sin at Calvary. My hope, my confidence, my faith, my trust is in the Lord. It's called a living hope in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It is a hope in the Lord Jesus Christ who has been raised from the dead, and therefore it is a living hope that we have. And that saving work that Jesus accomplished includes this second coming, this second appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it is the hope of the removal of the very presence of sin, and it is the hope of eternal life. This is why it is called the blessed hope. Blessed means happy, joyous. This hope brings joy. In fact, contemplating the hope laid up for us in heaven, as it's described in Colossians 1 verse 5, should bring us great joy. Contemplating the hope of eternal life as this hope is described in Titus 1 verse 2 and in Titus 3 verse 7 should bring us great joy. Contemplating the hope of righteousness, Galatians 5 5. The hope of glory, Colossians 1 27. The hope of the glory of God, Romans 5 verse 2. All of this should bring exceeding joy and blessedness. Is there really any other thought that should bring the believer more joy than the consideration of the consummation of our salvation when Christ appears a second time. We look back again at what Christ did, and there is great joy. We look now to what Christ is doing as He rules and reigns over His church, as He is at work in His church, making His bride holy, and it brings great joy. But there's a bookend at the very end, the consummation of all these things. And we look forward to that. It is a blessed hope. Now, why is it such a blessed, happy, and joyous hope? It's because we're, we're not only looking for the benefits and blessings that Jesus will bring with him, but we're actually looking for the one who brings them. 
We're not only looking for the blessed hope, but we're looking for what the Apostle Paul calls here the appearing. The appearing. The word appearing means, it comes from a word, the Greek word from which we get our word epiphany. It means a manifestation. And it is the appearing, look at the phrase, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean it's a glorious appearing as the King James translates it. This is not to say that the manner of His return will not be glorious. It will be glorious. I mean, there'll be this trumpet. There'll be the archangel that will shout. There will be, it will be a glorious event. But here, the way it's phrased, it is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. The idea is, it's not the manner of His appearing that's glorious, but here Paul is focusing on the glory of the One who appears. The Lord Himself will descend. It is the appearing of the glory of Jesus. In other words, He will appear in all His glory. The book of Revelation is about the unveiling of the glory of Christ, which culminates in His second coming. And this is what we are looking for. We are looking for the appearing, the revelation, the manifestation of the glory of Jesus Christ. Peter, James, and John got a glimpse of that glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus was, it's called, transfigured before them, they saw something of His glory. John saw something of His glory in Revelation chapter 1. And it was so glorious that he fell at his, on his knees and, and prostrate before him. And he was like a dead man. And he was fearful. When he comes again, it will be a glory that no eye has seen. No human eye, fallen human eye has seen. It will be the manifestation, the glory of Christ Jesus. It will be the fulfillment, <clears throat> really, of what Jesus prayed in the high priestly prayer in John 17, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you have loved me before the foundation of the world. This will be the consummation where every eye will see Him. All the redeemed will see the glory of their great Savior. What is so blessed and happy and joyous about the appearing of this glory? It is the glory of Jesus who is God, the second person of the Trinity. So He's described here as our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. This is a declaration of the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus is described as our great God and Savior. But some translations translate this Greek phrase without the comma, implying that it is, it is the appearing of the glory of two persons, God the Father and Jesus Christ the Savior. But there are several reasons to believe that the word God and the word Savior both modify the same person, namely Christ Jesus. There are two compelling reasons to interpret it that way. There is but one definite article in the Greek construction. It is 
the glory of this one Christ Jesus here described as God and Savior. And another reason for believing this is referring to Jesus is there's no mention anywhere else in the Bible of the second coming of God the Father, but of Jesus, who is God the Son. So the phrase, our great God and Savior, all modifies Christ Jesus and is a clear declaration of the deity of Jesus Christ. And again, this is the, re- the reason for the blessed nature of this hope. It is the appearing of God the Son in all His glory. And Paul says here, we're to be looking for that. We're to look forward to that future day. Looking, he says. The word in the Greek means to await, to expect It's the idea of longing for something. We who live today did not see him at his first appearance. But we will see him at his second appearance. And this is what we're looking for. We have the spiritual benefits and blessings of the first appearance of the grace of God. But then we will see the one who is our Savior. So we're looking for that. In Jude verse 21, it says we're waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. There's so many passages of Scripture that speak of how we're to be awaiting and looking for and longing for that day. Romans 8 verse 19 says that creation, personifying creation, is anxiously longing for the revealing of the sons of God on that last and final day. The creation is, as it were, on its tiptoes, looking forward, because when Christ comes and there is the revealing of the sons of God, a reference to our resurrection and the consummation of our salvation, all creation will be released from this curse of sin. And it says in Romans 8, verse 23, that we are those who are waiting eagerly for the redemption of our body. We wait eagerly for it, Romans 8, verse 25. And so there's the idea of anticipation. We're waiting, eagerly waiting for this day. Again, Paul says it this way, looking, waiting anxiously in a sense for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. So here in the the construction, the grammar of the passage, looking in verse 13 modifies to live in verse 12. Remember in verse 12 that the grace of God is instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live a particular way. How? Sensibly, righteously, and godly. When? Now in this present age. But while we currently live this way now, we look forward to something. We're looking to the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. So we can understand it this way. The grace of God appeared, instructing us to live godly in this present age as we look for and while we look for this future day of grace. So we live the Christian life looking back, but also looking forward. We live holy lives when we're looking back at our justification and when we look forward at our future glorification. 
So looking back and looking forward are both necessary. In order to be sanctified, to be made holy in the present, we must look back at our justification. We've been bought with a price. He redeemed us by His blood. We're looking back at what He has accomplished. And we glory in that past event of the cross of Christ. And so we need to look back at our justification in order to be stirred up to our present sanctification. But we also must look toward the future. 1 John chapter 3 says it this way, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God? And such we are. How? By justification. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God. But then he says, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. But that has implications for the present. And everyone who has this future hope fixed on him purifies himself in the present just as he is pure. So we look back to what Jesus has done for us and we look forward to what he will do for us when he returns. We look back at his first appearing. We look forward to his second appearing. And as we look back and forward, We are stirred to live in this present age for His glory as we grow in holiness. All three are here in these verses. So we need to take time to think of our justification. We need to take time to think of our future glorification. And as we do so, that we will be affected in such a way that we'll be stirred up to holiness in our present sanctification. This is a present evil age. We battle against sin. There are trials and tribulations. There's sickness, disease, and death. How do you keep from being discouraged in such a present age? You look to something yet future. You look to the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. So brethren, are you looking It's easy to forget, isn't it? It's easy to get so bogged down in the things that are present that we stop looking toward this future promise. Are you eagerly anticipating His return? How often do you really contemplate these things? And do you long for heaven? Do you long for Christ's return? Our longing for or lack of longing for heaven tells us something about whether or not we love this present world or not. It reveals where our treasure really is. Christians have their minds on heaven in the return of Christ. We are to seek things above where Christ is, and we're to long for that day when we will be with Him. Does this describe you? Are you seeking things above? Are you longing for His return? How often do you think of heaven? How often... Do you gaze into the sky and yearn for His return? Tonight, around the table of the Lord, we look for His appearing. One reason why we regularly observe the Lord's table 
until he returns, is that it aids in our present sanctification. Looking back at the cross of Christ and the application of it to our hearts causes us to be stirred up to live righteously, sensibly in this present age. But as we come to the table of the Lord, we also look forward. For Jesus said himself when he instituted the Lord's table, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So let's turn our eyes to Jesus as we come to the table of the Lord by looking back at what he has done for us to redeem us from our sin and looking forward to the grace to be brought to us when he returns. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we ask you to forgive us for we do not look to that future day as often as we should. Lord, we confess we don't always contemplate what Christ has done for us in the past as frequently as we should and live in light of that in the present. And we certainly often don't long for that final day, that blessed hope and appearing of God, our Savior, the Lord Jesus, as we should. So Lord, I pray that we would take heed to what we find here in Titus 2 verse 13. I pray this evening as we come to the table and we look back at what Christ has done for us, that we would also look forward to that day in which He will return, when we will commune with Him and He with us without the presence of sin, when we will come to that final supper of the Lamb, when there will be no more curse of sin. So I pray, strengthen your people this evening as we look to that day. And I pray that it would have implications, Lord, for how we live in this present age. Always looking back and always looking forward to our Lord Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.